Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. When I travel, I love to observe how there's a common ground in a sea of diversity. For example, there's about 100 currencies on the planet, and yet there's one thing that everybody agrees is money, gold. Now let's talk about the current topic of the day, which is COVID-19, which has killed over 200,000 people. It's also killed the global economy. The travel industry has shut down. The stock market's in tatters. Now, what has this got to do with gold I just mentioned? Well, the price of gold, and by the way, Bitcoin have both soared. Few people are talking about recession, everybody's talking about depression. So we get into the nuts and bolts about gold across the world. I talk with a renowned gold researcher, Jan Nieuwenhaus, and we talk about the stock to flow ratio, which has been a very popular way to determine Bitcoin's price recently and predicting it. And we talk about asteroid mining. We talk about how to store gold safely and effectively. Enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the Wonder Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tappan. I'm here with Jan Nieuwenhaus uh, from the Netherlands. So we're still in the middle of the COVID crisis, so we're socially isolated by a continent. Otherwise, I would have flown to uh, uh, <laughs> take a plane to California and then do it there, right. of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Since you're an expert on gold, I want it, and we're in the middle of a crisis, a pandemic that oftentimes has a huge impact on gold. People run to gold. Uh, I want to talk sure. about that and also want to talk, since you have some experience in Bitcoin, compare the two, and specifically want to talk about a popular um, Bitcoin model, which is called the stock to flow model. So we'll get into yeah. all these things. Let's talk about why do people flock to gold when a crisis happens? It just seems like from an alien perspective, if a Martian came here, like, huh. There's these little primates running around, and when all of a sudden things get scary, they run and clutch this shiny metal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah, makes yeah. them feel better. <laughs> it yeah, just looks yeah. like this is crazy. What is the odd behavior we have? <laughs> well, first of all, maybe it's nice to it, it, it pops to mind is that um, when gold was first discovered by humanity, uh, it was completely useless to us. Uh, it was first that they found copper in uh, riverbeds or wherever in, in on the ground, and it was usable for tools and um, and weapons. So there was the Bronze Age, right? They mixed a little bit of copper with uh, tin and they had bronze, and it was really hard so they could make a lot of tools and weapons uh, out of it. And gold was uh, too soft, so they couldn't really use it. But then at a certain point in time, this is what archaeologists think, uh, they started to see it for, for its beauty, and they, they started to see the sun uh, in it, and, and the sun gave eternal life. And it, because it was so soft, they made jewelry out of it. And so the first thing um, humans used gold for was for its beauty, for aesthetics. And but, be, but because it was so rare and scarce, it immediately had a very high, let's say, value. You know, you, you, you need to pay a lot of grain or, or uh, copper for a little bit of gold because it was so uh, scarce. And to tie it into the topic you want to talk about, the stock to flow ratio of gold, the thing that happens is when something is eternal and can't be destroyed and doesn't rust or, or, or anything, um, the above-ground stock of gold is is only uh, increased every year by a very tiny amount. So the total supply, the total stock is quite constant. And that gave gold a quite um, constant purchasing power. We can talk, you know, that there's a difference between price and purchasing power. For example, if the federal, what they are doing right now is the Federal Reserve would 
print a lot of dollars, uh, the price of gold, of course, would go up, but the price of everything would go up. So the, the key is the purchasing power of gold. Now, we have data from a lot of archaeological evidence, but also uh, old historical books, mainly from the UK. They were very keen on keeping all the data. And gold has, has, has a remarkable constant purchasing power. I was reading some articles just to do a little bit of research in this, and some people were uh, were actually arguing some gold bugs, gold bugs, the people who really are big fans of gold, um, were, yeah. were actually arguing something that I thought was kind of counterintuitive. They're saying that, no, gold is not scarce. It's actually abundant. There's a lot of it out there and that kind of stuff. And, you know, just like we don't keep track of it and da, 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 and there's actually a lot of it. And because I guess they, I don't know what the, I guess the argument is, but can can you explain maybe is there friction among people who are gold aficionados or those who are saying no it's scarce and other people saying no it's abundant? Yeah, of course this is, um, can be clearly explained. It has to do. It's a little bit philosophic and and economics is about philosophy in in my view um, because gold and 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 every type of money is just a social agreement. It only has value because we all believe it has value and because we have agreed it has value i mean <laughs> if i do a job for you you pay me 50 dollars, and i i accept it because i believe that tomorrow i can spend it so it's all just fictional right every right. money is backed by trust that's it a gold bug would say well no uh but gold is actually real it's actually physical it's not a fiction um and I think to myself, again, going back to my analogy of aliens coming on the earth and seeing homo, you know, homo sapiens and primates running after this shiny metal. I mean, there's some logic to it because as you know, it, there, the supply is rather f not fixed, but it's um, the, the stock to flow that we talked about. You know, it's, it's so there's a I mean, it's not like we're running after just a random rock or concrete. We're going after something. There's some sense to it. Um, the end goal of every participant in the economy are goods and services. And goods and services have huge value to us. So you have a sandwich, you have a bike, you have a sweater, you have a house, you have everything. Those things have huge value to us hmm. because that's, and that's the whole, that's always the end goal of a participant in the economy. Everything else, stocks, bonds, whatever, has no direct use value for us. It's just hmm. a means to an end. Correct. So, um, but gold is like gold, a hybrid. No, not really. Not really, because it's mainly used for monetary applications, uh, being uh, coins, uh, bars, but the jewelry is also a store of value combined with aesthetics. Fair right? enough. That's why I was thinking okay. of hybrid. That's why I was thinking of, of gold yeah, being yeah, yeah. A, but a hybrid for, you know, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But the jewelry market is more or less a, uh, that's, uh, I'm happy I started the, the story with, you know, we first discovered gold because of its its beauty and it's it's kind of funny but um no jewelry is also a store of value although some people not really consciously think about it uh, like that but if you would ask uh, a woman in india she 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 knows you know she she hmm. handles the money of the family and 50 uh, percent is in gold if they have a bank account right um, and by the so way, that we... actually is something that brings me up. I just learned also something recently that I was like, well, what if you store gold in your house and your house burns down? And then I read that actually, well, gold can resist uh, the temperature of a house, a typical house fire, and it will not melt. 
I, I forgot about that. Um, I don't know what, what, what the melting point is of, of uh, gold, and I don't know what a typical fire uh, melting of, uh, uh, Fire for home, I think, is 1,500 degrees. I think Fahrenheit, not Celsius. I think it's Fahrenheit. And anyway, the, the melting point of gold is about twice the level, the temperature. Oh, okay. Of, of thought, a house fire. So I thought a know, lot of people have like a, a fireproof safe in their house for uh, gold. It probably is an extra precaution. Yeah, but, better safe um, than sorry. But my, but my, again, I could be wrong. I'm not a gold expert. But there's two things we're talking about now. One is uh, a disagreement between uh, analysts, and we're going to talk about this, uh, between how much gold there is above ground, right. and on the other hand, there is an economic discussion about. Um, and this is my view as well. Uh, we don't use gold for anything but money, right? So, and some economists, uh, let's say they're mainstream economists or Keynesian, uh, Keynesian economists say, well, there's not enough gold in the world to serve as money, which is of course not true because if you, uh, raise the price of gold, then you just need a, yeah, let's say, uh, a one troy ounce of gold has a lot more value and a lot more purchasing power. And the more you raise the price of gold, the, the less of it you need. So, of course, there's always plenty of gold enough uh, to be used as money if the price is right. That's what, uh, yeah, some people say about, well, there's no scarcity of gold because we have enough for it to be used as money. Right now, some people say the, the stock to flow is roughly around 65. In other words, yeah. we have a 65-year supply of gold in, in, in stock which is super high. But some people say, no, it's actually like 3000 <laughs> or yeah. know, the stock to flow ratio is like, you know, in the thousands, not 65, just yeah. because their stock to flow ratio is different. Um, it, but it seems like most people agree that it's in the sixties or fifties or seventies, somewhere in that zone. Any opinion on this? Yeah. Yeah. It's 60. It's, it's okay. about 60 and it has been, uh, roughly 60, let's say 65 for, the last 100 years, I just uh, took a look at it. Um, I can also look further back, um, but of course, the more uh, back you go, uh, the less accurate the data is. But if you look, uh, th this can be um, clearly explained as well. Um, of the last 100 years, say from 1900 or even 100 years before, but we have very accurate mining data. I mean, the world was already globalized. Um, there was gold being mined in Russia, in South Africa, in the USA, in Canada, all over the place. And we kind of know what was added annually to the global stock. Now, we also know that um, hundreds and thousands of years ago, that amount that uh, was being mined, the amount of gold was much lower. Um, to give you an example, and this is where the, the, the opinions differ, because some people say the stock to flow is much higher because in ancient times, uh, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. Uh, you know, the, the, the nuggets, huge nuggets, were just laying around the riverbeds, and you know, gold was abundant, whatever. This is not true. So, it, I'm quite sure that uh, currently uh, annual mine supply is 3,300 metric tons, and the above-ground stock is 195,000 tons, which gives you roughly a stock-to-flow ratio of 60. Got it. Now, do traders of gold and gold analysts, do they actually look at stock to flow in order to gauge the price that gold is going to or should be at? No, as a metric? no, 
No, the fun is that they look at, um, and this is something that is uh, that I, I know you want to talk about Bitcoin and this uh, gentleman called Plan B, which is also a Dutch uh, resident, um, by coincidence. Um, they look, they think that the stock to flow creates the price, but that's that's not true. The price of everything is set by supply and demand. So supply, yeah, you can, you know, it's all this stock to flow uh, talk is about supply. But if there is no demand for something, the value is zero. I mean, if you create, uh, let's say, um, if you would build a building and you would, you know, put like a billion dollars in it to marble, uh, whatever, bathrooms, mm. but there is no buyer, the value is zero. Right. Right. This is right. this is basic economics. It's called the subjective theory of value. So, so what is gold. what is stock to flow good for in the gold market? What do people? Why do they measure it? Why do they care? Does anybody care? We do care because the funny thing is that because people have demand for gold, um, and there is so much above ground, and there is so much that's coming out of the ground every year, if demand rises compared to supply, if demand outpaces supply and the price goes up, it becomes more profitable to get more gold out of the ground. And in this way, this is like a self-regulating system, you can say. In this way, the stock to flow ratio is kept more or less at a constant. But not because people look at the stock to flow ratio, it's because people have demand for gold and they look at the price and its purchasing power and they look at all sorts of other uh, assets like stocks and bonds and what central banks are doing, etc. Also of importance now is, uh, for example, the, the oil price is now very low. So with a very low oil price, it becomes much more profitable to uh, mine for gold. So everything in the economy plays into this. It's not just as with Bitcoin, uh, what these some people think, oh, you have a mathematical model and that's it. Right. Um, so what are the drivers of the gold price or how can you try to predict where the price is going to? Like, for example, if you're thinking about the 2020s long term for this decade, where how do you go about trying to figure out where is the price of gold going to? What metrics do you look for? What uh, mythology met methodology uh, you use? Uh I'd like to look at a couple of things. Uh, for example, the the amount, if you look at the value of gold now, and you compare that to the value of all other financial assets, then gold only makes up about 0.6% uh, of the entire financial asset space. Now in the 60s, that was 5%. So uh, it's quite low. So it can, you know, I would say it's still undervalued. Um, of course, gold doesn't yield. So if, 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 if the economy is going well, a lot of investors don't want to hold gold. They want to um, they want to have something that uh, pays a yield like uh, uh, sovereign bonds or stocks or whatever derivatives. For example, there's a correlation between the gold price and the real interest rates of uh, the United in the United States. So the benchmark is the uh, 10 year sovereign bonds uh, in, the in the US. And that, for example, has an interest rate of uh, 2% and you subtra subtract the uh, inflation and what's left is the real interest rate, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the movement of the real interest rate is very tightly correlated with the price of gold. So what year did you first buy Bitcoin? I bought my first Bitcoin in 2011, actually at $25. Uh, I bought five Bitcoins and um, I lost them. 
because uh, at one point my computer was a bit uh, working not so well. So this technician came in and he said, uh, yeah, oh, I see you have some Bitcoins in a Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, no, those, uh, there can be a virus in them. So he, he threw them away. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. Five Bitcoins. And Are you then sure he threw them away? He didn't send them to himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> no, they're gone. Uh, so maybe if that, if that computer guy is now living that. in a mansion somewhere. <laughs> oh, these crazy stories. Uh, uh, it's interesting because my, bro my brother bought Bitcoin when it, he bought 10 Bitcoin when it was one dollar. And mm -hmm. he held it, I think, at Mount Gox or one of those early exchanges. And right. the exchange got hacked and he lost <laughs> his 10 Bitcoin. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then, the most, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but the most. Yes, you can, please. Fuck, fuck yeah! Stories about people losing Bitcoin and oh my god, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. By the way, are there fucked up stories about people losing gold? No, because you, it's very hard to lose gold, and and gold is that is something that I didn't touch in the um, first question is that gold has no, it's the most independent uh, financial asset there is because uh, it's not man-made. It's uh, and and very liquid and it's completely neutral. It's not, you know, uh, printed by one government and it, it doesn't have any counterparty risk. Right. You don't need power. You don't need miners. You don't need the Internet. You don't need anything for gold. Um, so but, uh, but hold on. What about in the case of, let's say, I want to buy physical gold? And there are cases where maybe there are some people who, and, that, and that I want to have the custody of the gold somewhere else, let's say in Alabama or somewhere else the actual yeah. gold is being stored at. And yeah. it seems like there's got to be a lot of openings for scam artists who say, yeah, 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 don't worry. I've got your, you know, one kilo of gold sitting in my warehouse out here. Trust me, trust me. And like, well, I yeah. want to go inspect it. And so then they just set up the, the warehouse to inspect it. There's your gold right here. Check it out. And yeah. then, okay, great. And then the next customer comes in. Where's my one kilo of gold? They bring you to the exact same. Yeah. <laughs> this is your gold yeah. right here. Yeah. <laughs> and so every customer who comes in, they point to the same one kilo of gold saying, that's your gold. <laughs> um, in other words, like, I mean, maybe I'm being too cynical about this, but it just seems like in these custody operations, if you're not going with a trusted place that has a long reputation and, you know, it seems like that's there's a lot of opening for scam in that situation. Am I wrong? No, you're completely right. You should be very careful uh, about choosing uh, a vault operator or a broker or whatever. And it's also uh, Jim Rickards is a famous gold commentator. He uh, calls it the bicycle rule. So it's also... Good to have, you know, even with gold, for example, if you have a million dollars, you diversify your assets, you have a little bit of gold, a little bit of stocks, a little bit of bonds, uh, but even your gold should be diversified. So maybe you have a, a few coins at home. Um, if you have more, you can uh, put something in a vault very nearby that you can reach on a bicycle. Um, and if you have like for millions and millions of gold, maybe you, you need a very safe space like uh, Swiss folds or in another very safe country. Um, so these are all things to, to think about. You know, how can you access it? Uh, is it safe there? Uh, what kind of scenarios am I preparing for? Uh, all these type of things. But yeah, it's very important to think about uh, scam artists as well. Uh, there have, of course, been examples of, of, of dealers that didn't, you know, they had less gold in their vault than, than they promised uh, to their customers. And um these people get busted and but i would say 
yeah, I, I'm in this business now for like almost 10 years. Yeah, I know what what businesses are are, are very long in this. Uh, and you, you can look, uh, by the way, because a lot of them have third-party auditors. For example, the company I work for, Voima Gold in, in Finland, we also have a third-party audit, auditor that comes in, counts all the gold, uh, checks our books, uh, etc. Everybody can always withdraw, withdraw uh, their gold. So every gold company uh, has its own auditing structure. And uh, but it's up to the customer to check out if uh, if that's all uh, where you feel comfortable uh, with. What tell us a little bit about your company and what you do for it? So I'm a, a gold researcher, a gold analyst. I'm also now more into um, writing about economics because how I started out was I started a blog in 2013, I believe it was, and it was only about the Chinese gold markets and. Since then, I developed a lot, and it's very nice to write about gold, and there's a lot to be said about it. But in the end, it's all about economics, you know, reasons to buy gold. So I'm trying to um, uh, expand all the topics I'm writing about, and and basically that's uh, of course beneficial for the company uh, because uh, a lot of people get uh, good information uh, from us, and uh, it drives traffic. Uh, and our company, yeah, it's called Voima Gold. It's in Helsinki. It's it's basically uh, like a gold dealer I just described. Uh, you can open an account uh, with us. Uh, we call it the Voima account. And at the moment, uh, we have a lot more developments coming. At the, Vo at the moment, it, it exists of a, a currency account. So let's say euros and the gold account. And you can choose uh, how much you want to keep in, your, in euros or in uh, gold. And it's very uh, efficient and, and easy because at us you can pay uh, and buy and sell per gram. So in other instances, uh, for example, if you want to have uh, coins in your home, uh, of course, of course, coins are a bit, yeah, you, you're stuck to the denomination. It's one troy ounce. You can't break a coin if you want to, you know, sell a little bit. Mm. So, of course, these the digital revolution, of course, uh, has also unlocked gold, so to say. So you can buy and sell per gram. Uh, How is much really is nice. one gram uh, currently, roughly? It's 50 euros per gram, so that's a little bit more in dollars. So it's like right. 55 uh, per gram. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and so you can have, in your company, you can have a bank account that is a regulated, insured bank account with euros, and then have, and then when you feel like the market is is about to go well for gold, you can transfer that cash into gold and then when you find that the market is getting a little bit top heavy and getting a little bit pricey you can sell that gold and move it back into cash is that more or less what you're saying that's you can use it uh, like that but that is more like trading and right. we like to think of it as i think if you look at your bank account now you have like a current account it's called right and you have yeah. a savings account and the money you know interest rates are very low now but let's say 10 years ago you have some money for where the income comes in and where you spend money from. And if you have a little bit of money over, then you uh, move it through your uh, savings account. Now in our model, uh, it's not completely built. We have the app, the iPhone app and Android app uh, already, but in a few weeks, the whole system will be, uh, the, the rest of the system will be ready. And what it will be like is that um, basically you have a savings account, but that is physical gold in grams. So you can do all your banking services. We're not a bank in terms of we don't lend anything to anyone. You, you can't get a loan. But all your payment services can be done 
in our uh, app, so to say. And so you have a, a Euro account, uh, which you can uh, receive uh, money uh, in and you can spend uh, from, but you also have your physical gold account as a savings account. Uh, but you can also spend your gold. There's going to be a debit card and it's going to be linked to, you know, the Voima account. And you can just press a button on your phone if you, for example, uh, see um, uh, an expensive bike and you want to buy it from your gold. You can just say, okay, I want to now, you know, pay with gold. And then you buy the bike. And of course, because the shopper, the merchant wants to uh, receive euros in, in this part of the world. And then the uh, gold is... Um, real-time uh, exchange for euros and uh, paid to the merchant. What made you buy it? And what made you then, you eventually, I think you told me you sold in 2017 when the prices I think were pretty crazy high. What what was going through your head as far as like, why did you see any value in this digital? Yeah, so, so I just told, I bought Bitcoins and then I lost it uh, a year later. Uh, I bought it because I was really interested in economics after the great financial crisis of 2008. And I was interested in gold, and then this suddenly this this new currency came up, and uh, it started to go up in value. First, it was one cent, and then it was uh, two dollars, and I was like, "Oh, damn! I missed it all." Uh, <laughs> and uh, but it was very interesting. I thought, you know what? I was also investing a little bit in gold and silver. Uh, you know what? I'm going to buy a few of these um, bitcoins as well. You know, because maybe this will be the future. I mean, what I like about bitcoin of course it's like it's like a, a bottom-up um invention it's not a top-down thing from the government right so it's everything that is created from from the bottom up is very uh yeah or, or functions uh, very well gold in and, gold itself is a bottom-up invention of course yeah right. yeah we start to use it as money uh, because the market uh, was in demand for it um, but anyway, yeah, then in 2013, um, so I lost those Bitcoins in 2013. I saw the price go up again and it was at 40 or $45. And I thought, hmm, those five Bitcoins I lost, I'm going to buy them again now because I want to get back into my position. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did. And then, but and in 2017, I thought this is, you know, there's this famous story. I don't know if you know the story the about tulip uh, mania. No, 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 not the tulip mania, but about a stockbroker. And uh, he worked on the stock market in New York. And um, he went uh, out of his uh, out of the stock market at the end of the day. And he had his uh, shoes polished at a uh, shoeshine man. And the shoeshine man said to him, oh, you have to buy these and these uh, stocks because they're, uh, they're very high now and they're going to go up a lot more. And the next day he sold all those stocks. This is just the basic rule of investing. If the, the cab driver or your aunt at, at a party is going to tell you about some kind of asset that you have to buy, you have to sell it. It's the right. peak, you know? Right, exactly. So in 2017... Especially, especially if it's an esoteric asset. You know, you can imagine people talk, talking about, you need to buy derivatives, really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the guy who's oh, but... packing my groceries is talking about derivatives, I'm like, <laughs> okay... <laughs> okay this is weird yeah i don't think he's a professor um no but in amsterdam and probably all over the world in 2017 i could not walk into a bar in amsterdam and people would start telling me about bitcoin and whatever and i was like i'm gonna sell i'm gonna sell all of it so i sold all of it and uh, it Got was it. 
the end for me. And I still think it's a very interesting uh, project. I'm, I'm not against the Bitcoin, but yeah, I just happen to not own uh, any of it. What do you think about the stock to flow model that Plan B, who is a fellow citizen of your uh, the Netherlands, they're Dutch as well. What do you think of it? Do you think it's bullshit? Uh, do you think there's anything of value there? Well, I think what he showed is really nice that uh, the price or the market cap is more or less correlated to the stock to flow curve, right? So he says that the stock to flow model provides value. And it's, of course, not true. Um, maybe you and I know what the stock to flow model is of Bitcoin. It's like uh, every two years, the new supply is being halved, right? Every four years, sorry. Uh, every four years, sorry. Mm -hmm. I don't know it exactly. Yeah. Uh, so now there are 17 million or 18 million Bitcoins and... Mm -hmm. Yes. Every and so what happens year. is that every four years, the amount of reward that the miners are get is halved. And so in May uh, 11th, I think it is of 2020, they're going to go from 12 and a half Bitcoin reward to six and a quarter Bitcoin yeah. reward. And yeah. that really raises the stock to flow ratio dramatically and mm -hmm. almost overnight effectively. And because the stock to flow ratio goes up and will at some point pass gold, um, stock to flow ratio of 60 something, that uh, Bitcoin will become incredibly valuable as a result. Yeah. So that, that, that is what he uh, what he writes in his uh, article, in his basic article. He wrote a few others. Um, so what he does is he says, the value of Bitcoin is derived from the stock to flow uh, calculation, actually. But what, you know, I, I told you in the beginning of this conversation about the subjective theory of value, and that is that everything, the value of everything is set by supply and demand. So this only, the whole stock to flow model is only about supply, but what about demand? So if I would tell you that tomorrow I would launch a new cryptocurrency, and the happening would not happen every four years, but every day, right? So we would start off with, so to say, uh, a million of my cryptocurrency and the stock to flow ratio would not go up very rapidly in a few years, not in 10 years, not in 20 years, but in two weeks. Would it, you know, be worth trillions of dollars? Right. I don't think so. This is not how economics works. You know, right. there has to be demand for something. All right. So uh, the fact that the, the correlation is very remarkable, but there also have been other correlations between the price of Bitcoin or its market cap. And for example, um, the, the usage of the chain, how many transactions on the chain. For example, there's a guy called Charlie Morris and his company is called ByteTree. And he has a, he has a, a different theory about uh, the pricing of, of Bitcoin. And he looks at the, the the intensity of how the blockchain is is used, and that also has a correlation to the price. It's such an uh, amazing uh, invention that I I hope it will go up because uh, I think there is just yeah I think I think also there's demand for it, but the price is from the demand and not only the stock to flow ratio. Uh, the demand is from how we can use it as money or something else that will determine um, its value. You know, I see um, similarities between Bitcoin and gold, and I hope they can go up together. I mean, anything but uh, this uh, paper money from the government, which is kind of destroying the economy now. 
I, I was looking at a chart that you sent me and in the video we'll show the chart, but basically you showed the stock to flow ratio over the last 120 years. Yeah. And it's kind of been going, has this wavy pattern. Now, if we overlay the price of gold on top of that, you see very little correlation between the two. And that's something that I think plan B in his thesis kind of leaves out. I mean, it would have been much more powerful if he says, look at the price, the stock to flow price, the stock to flow of gold goes this way and the price of gold follows it in tandem, but it actually doesn't, correct? No, but it has it has a lot to do with uh, that the price of gold itself is meaningless over 100 years because the price, uh, we, we are accustomed to uh, dollars, but a dollar 100 years ago uh, could buy you a lot more than today. So the price in dollars doesn't tell you anything. It's You have to convert it with uh, inflation numbers to the purchasing power of gold, right? So it becomes a little bit more complicated. Now, if you look at Bitcoin exists from 2009, so that's only 10 years. So not a lot of inflation, you know, in consumer prices has happened. There has been a lot of asset inflation, but not mm. like with bread and, and, and bicycles. So it's quite easy for Bitcoin to just take the price, the dollar price, and make mathematical calculations and look at correlations. Mm. Whereas with gold, which uh, has an, uh, let's say, 6,000-year uh, history, you really have to look at the purchasing power. I mean, yeah, an ounce of gold in, let's say, 1900 was uh, $20. Uh, but, um, yeah, just the price in dollars doesn't mean a thing. Right, right. No, I understood because I remember seeing somewhere in my research that they showed you, you know, I'm just exaggerating here, but one kilogram of gold could buy you a car, a really nice car in 1960, and it can yeah. still buy you a nice car or even a nicer car now or something like that. It's the same, yeah. you know, something like that. I can't remember the yeah, exact yeah. thing. But This is about the purchasing power of gold, and it has right. actually increased in the United States. I can um, send you a chart if you want. Since 1971, the purchasing power of gold has increased. And this is what I uh, talked about in the beginning, because there's been so much monetary acceleration in terms of uh, debt increase, credit expansion, uh, financialization, uh, that a lot of wealth has been created. And um, uh, and gold has kept track of that right. as the polaris in the monetary system. A lot of times, if you talk to Bitcoin people, there's like, it's only Bitcoin, Bitcoin is it. And, you know, gold bugs are like gold. No, and they, they almost look at Bitcoin almost like a threat to them because it's just like they see this Bitcoin is trying to steal a bit of the gold thunder. And so mm -hmm. they're like, they're trying to say, no, no, gold is real. It's a real thing. I can touch it. I can feel it. And, you know, your Bitcoin is just a fantasy. Um, but you actually have like, you can, I think you can see both worlds. You're fairly objective yeah. about this thing, even though of your course. career is in gold. Um, so how do you compare the, the, the two assets or the two uh, things, gold versus Bitcoin? What do you see pros and cons? And how do you kind of analyze the two markets? Uh, well, um, let's start with gold. So I told you already that gold has no counterparty risk. Of course, if you put it in a vault by an, an, a vault operator, you have to trust the vault operator. But that's more or less, all, uh, you, you know, humans are social beings. So we we don't exist in ourselves. We have also always uh, cooperated um, in, in, in the economy. And so, um, yeah, I don't really see that as a counterparty risk, although there are 
can be a risk, of course, if you put your gold in a vault. Um, but gold has no counterparty risk. It can't be printed. It's completely independent of uh, the financial world, but also of humans, because it's just a physical element. Nobody can change it. They try to uh, create it now uh, in, uh, in this, uh, how do you call CERN, the, the, the lab in, in Switzerland, uh, where they uh, do tests with physics. Anyway, it, it, if you throw a few trillion dollars at it, you can produce one radioactive atom of gold. It's not really uh, <laughs> worth it. <laughs> anyway, so I'll, I'll keep it short. Now, gold has, has a very long track record and um, will probably also, if you look at, for example, central banks, central banks have a lot of physical gold in their vaults, not Bitcoin, not silver, not anything else. Gold is the backstop of the financial uh, monetary system. Um, it hasn't changed since 1971 in terms of, you know, the, the, the asset of last resort, the ultimate store of value. We've done some experiments and it's, much of it is about psychology, but it's still there, you know, at, at Fort Knox and, and other places. So if you go into a storm and we are about to go into a storm, uh, you know, a very severe uh, depression, what do you choose? as a um, as for, for for tools to survive the storm you choose the tools of which you are certain that work because they have worked for thousands of years so gold will do that uh, but you can also bring some new tools like uh, bitcoin which is different you know it has uh, it's digital so um, you can store it yourself you don't need a vault uh, for it but you can lose your password and that will be uh, a bitch Sorry for my French, um, <laughs> but you know, you can transfer, uh, unlimited amounts of value to the other side of the world without a bank or uh, a government in between. You can just remember a few passwords in your head. You can step on a plane, come out in uh, Australia, download some stuff and have your value again. I mean, it's incredible, right? Uh, so they, um, I think they, they both have their, their, their pros and cons. Uh, but uh, to put just numbers on it, I would put more value uh, or I have more, uh, I already told you I don't have Bitcoin, but if I could have done it uh, all over again, uh, I would put more value in gold because you know for sure that it will uh, preserve its purchasing power and it put a little bit less in, in, in Bitcoin because it's more speculative and you just don't know what's going to happen to it. And maybe, you know, the value would go to zero because Ethereum or IOTA comes up and has more, I don't know, use value and you don't know. So that is basically the pros and cons, how I see uh, Bitcoin and, and gold. Would you say 80-20 would be a good ratio? 80% yeah. gold, 20% Bitcoin, something like that? Yeah, if you would ask me, I would say yes. Yes, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable being a financial uh, advisor sure. because I'm yeah, I'm a researcher and, but yeah, mm -hmm. that, that would make sense, yeah. Okay. Just the, the, the amount of money you put in Bitcoin, make sure you can lose it, right? right. It, it wouldn't be the end of the world if you, if you lose it. Right. Um, where do you think the price of gold and Bitcoin is gonna go in the 2020s? Because you kind of alluded to the fact that we're kind of on the threshold of a depression. And this should bode yeah. well for at least gold, for sure. I mean, historically, gold has a long track record of doing well in depressions. Bitcoin, we yeah. haven't really, you know, it was created during the financial crisis, but it, the financial crisis was more or less kind of over by the time Bitcoin really started getting traction. Um, mm -hmm. And so it hasn't, this is really the first, assuming we go into some sort of big depression, this is really going to be the first test to see how Bitcoin does in a real crisis. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what we're entering is a depression, and what will happen is that a lot of uh, there will be a lot of uh, unemployment and a lot of uh, company uh, bankruptcies, which will set in. in th there will be a domino effect of of uh, the economy collapsing. It also means that a lot of people have to default on their debt, and um, so and and stock markets are, of course will go down, and bonds will default, and the the government will uh, the Federal Reserve will print more money. Um, so um there are two reasons why uh, gold is going up first of all the risk of default you know all these uh, financial assets have uh, can default stocks bonds etc and gold and gold doesn't so people rush to gold uh, because that's a safe haven and gold is inflation proof so no matter how much money the federal reserve will print gold will preserve its purchasing power mm -hmm. um so i think gold will go up and I, 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 I haven't made my own models uh, to predict the gold price, uh, but it, I think it's fair to say it will, it will go to $3,000 or something by uh, next year. And what, what Bitcoin will do, I have no idea. We'll, we'll have to see uh, the, the, the happening, they call it, in, uh, is in um, May, right? May 11th of 2020, that's right. Yeah, yeah, of 2020. Now, I think it can also, you know, it doesn't happen, it doesn't have to happen in that month. It could also happen a few months later, but historically, historically, it always has had a delay of at least 60 days. Usually, I think okay. before it actually right. starts, yeah. because yeah. I think what happens is the moment the halving happens, the miners are kind of screwed because they're getting half the reward. And so they're mm -hmm. kind of there's a consolidation period where they're kind of the right. weak miners kind of drop out and then the strong miners try to stay in. And so it takes a few weeks, if not a couple of months before that process, this we've only had two halvings in history. So it's not really? like you can, you can draw a long correlation here uh, on two data points and, and assume that's going to happen again. But that's, we can say for certain in the only two ha halvings that have happened so far, it took couple of months for Bitcoin to then suddenly consolidate and start rising up. Right. Okay. Wow. I thought it had more halfings, but, uh, yeah. of, or, or halfings, it's, that would be correct. Uh, There's English. two pronunciations. I usually yeah. say having cause it's half, but, but yeah. I've heard how I've heard this, uh, Tim Draper, who's a, a billionaire, um, is he says having, and he, he's the guy, Tim Draper is the guy who bought a bunch of Bitcoin for $19 million. Uh, it was confiscated Bitcoin that the U.S. government had confiscated from a, a, a legal Silk Road trader, and right. he bought it. And I think he's done very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he bought it roughly around the same similar time frame that you were buying it. I don't know how much Bitcoin yeah. was worth there. It was probably a few hundred bucks. Yeah, I, I, I like those Bitcoin terms like uh, hodl and uh, right. happening. And, uh, it's, it, <laughs> it's an it's whole new vocabulary. Easy. Yeah, um, so I was predicting that uh, Bitcoin, uh, sorry, that gold was going to hit uh, 5,000 in this decade. So you, it sounds like you're thinking that's quite reachable. I think it's reachable. Yeah. Yeah. I also think we're going back to a, let's say, uh, you must have heard of the, of the term gold standard, but there have actually been a lot of gold standards. You have the classical gold standard. We have uh, the gold exchange standard, the gold coin standard, uh, Bretton Woods. You have a lot of ways to um, incorporate uh, gold into the financial system. And I actually think that we'll go to a new gold standard, but uh, I don't know for sure how it's going to look like. So I think gold will go up drastically. 
Uh, in the short term, though, uh, I would like to add that um, it can be very volatile as well because gold has a lot of, has a lot to do with inflation. And what we're the beginning now of the depression is very deflationary, right? If if aggregate demand in the economy drops, nobody can spend uh, money on beer or uh, on shopping, so that's very deflationary. Prices will drop at first and then the federal reserve will step in to create even more money whatever is necessary to boost uh, inflation uh, what we're also likely to see is, is straight out currency devaluations like the uh, roosevelt did in 1933 just uh, devalued the dollar by i believe 41 percent that can happen again and gold um, long term will, will will do well and um, and Bitcoin is not my expertise, but it's very exciting to look at the happening. Right. No, it's true. Um, now, one thing, there's a monkey wrench that's way down the, the road for us that's going to potentially disrupt the entire gold market. And it's not going to be in your lifetime or my lifetime. Um, and it's the fact that there's asteroids out there. There's the Psyche 16 asteroid that's orbiting between Mars and Jupiter. And People who are listening to this are probably thinking I'm absolutely crazy, but it's true. <laughs> it's this asteroid of metal, and the NASA is going to be visiting it in 2026, six years away. And when they do, they're just going to be kind of flying around and checking it out and getting a good sense. But from all indications, it has in today's market value, I mean, trillions and trillions and tr uh, quadrillions of values and metals stuck on that asteroid, quadrillions. <laughs> um, now, obviously, it doesn't, it's not actually worth quadrillion because if that asteroid were to come to the United States, or sorry, to the world, it would uh, flood and depress all those prices. Mm -hmm. So just speaking philosophically, Jan, between us, um, obviously, it's not this, this won't happen for until the end of the century, probably, till they actually mine it and bring it. But wouldn't that, in fact, be the first time in gold's history where the stock-to-flow ratio <laughs> gets completely out of whack and and the entire market of gold gets utterly disrupted and breaks a 6,000-year trend line? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be uh, at least the second time because it happened previously when um, Christopher Columbus um, traveled to the Americas and found... Uh, America, uh, and he uh, quite soon the, the Spanish actually brought a lot of gold and silver uh, home from Mexico, and that was uh, the, the stock to flow train changed dramatically. Not that I know the numbers by head, but I know there was a lot of inflation because so much gold and silver was coming in that uh, inflation was uh, extraordinarily high for 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 those times. And uh, they used the gold and silver a lot to buy uh, spices and silk from uh, China and India. But uh, that was the first, so to say, asteroid that they found. These things can happen. Uh, of course, uh, it all has to do with, um, is it, uh, does it make economic sense to get those, uh, uh, are there also minerals or just uh, metals? I think it's just metals, but I could be wrong. Metals, metals, right. So, for example, um, by the way, uh, there are also trillions and trillions of uh, tons of gold at the core of the earth. Did right. you know that? At the core yes. of the earth. Right. There's a lot of gold there. Right. But you, ca you can't get it. You can't get it out, right? Right, right. So maybe we can mine those asteroids, but maybe if, just let's talk in dollar terms to keep it simple, it takes um, 5 billion uh, dollars 
to get one ounce of gold back to the earth. Right. Doesn't worth make it. sense. Right. Of course. So not. maybe, but maybe I'm I'm you know, thinking out loud. There's also a lot of gold at the bottom of the sea. Right. You know, at uh, 10 kilometers depth, there mm -hmm. is a lot of gold, but it's not doesn't make any economic sense yet to reach that gold. But this is the beauty of gold. If the price rises and you know it becomes profitable, we go to the bottom of the sea and get some new mine supply. And if the gold price rises some more and if technology develops, because um, in terms of purchasing power of gold, what's, what's also important is the development and the, uh, let's say, the efficiency uh, how we can uh, mine gold so maybe you know elon musk develops some spaceships and we can very easily go to the asteroid to site 16 and, and 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 get it and maybe uh, all these things at the bottom of the sea and on asteroids will just keep the stock flow ratio around 65 where it has been for a long time right, right. we don't know uh you know it at the moment, I know it's very expensive to get some gold. Gold is heavy uh, to get some gold from an asteroid. So I don't really see it as a threat. Um, but of course, if we can build really big spaceships and, and go there, um, it might be a problem. But um, it can also be that, that we have then by that time, like 20 or 40 billion people living on this planet. And we have also colonized Mars and whatever. And it, I don't know, but these are just some of my thoughts. Yeah, interesting. I was thinking that I was just imagining a spaceship going out there because even though gold is quite heavy in space, and but in the asteroid belt, it's basically weightless. Effectively, I mean, it's not weightless, but it, it it's a lot easier to move it than if you had to move tons and tons of gold on Earth because there's not the gravity that you're fighting as dramatically. So pulling it to the earth, dragging it, kind of like dragging, let's say, an iceberg from Antarctica to bring fresh water somewhere is not that hard, but it would just be, I was just trying to imagine, there's no way you could land with that gold. You would have to like drop it with parachutes because it would be so heavy and there would have to be incredible parachutes. I think maybe you would just like maybe not, not even try to put a parachute on and just have it fall in like the Gulf of Mexico or like maybe the Gulf of up there in, in, in uh, uh, what's it called? The Baltic Sea, you know, someplace that doesn't have a very deep ocean. <laughs> yeah. So you let the gold tons and tons <laughs> rain from the sky and create this huge, <laughs> you know, waves like a tsunami. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> and then you let the gold sink to the bottom of the ocean, but in the Gulf of Mexico, it's not that deep. It's, so therefore you can go down and retrieve that gold because trying to like the amount of fuel that you would have to have to like give it a nice landing and so that it doesn't uh, like it lands perfectly well on land, you would have to use so much fuel because the damn thing you would want to maximize. Anyway, I was just trying to visualize this thing. It's, and, it's, and it's very, very interesting uh, thoughts, uh, actually, because um, what you say, if you if you reach the asteroid, um, getting off the asteroid doesn't wouldn't take a lot of energy because you're in space, probably. Yeah. We don't, yeah, maybe yeah. the asteroid has a little bit of gravity. I don't know, but I don't yeah. think so. It's, uh, it's, it's, but, it's, it's negligible compared to trying to land that asteroid softly on the Earth, or at least a portion well, of the asteroid. Well, think about getting gold to the asteroid. That would be a bitch. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. I would send Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, right. but, yeah, no, but um, 
yeah, you're right. Maybe uh, they will bring it, but also space, right? You need space in, in the spaceship. Uh, a ton of gold. Uh, I mean, gold is very dense, but already a ton of gold is like, you know, it's it's a pretty big pile. I don't know if there's a lot of space in spaceships, actually. I would think but... they would just lasso it and drag it and just pull it. Like they pull a, an iceberg yeah. in okay. Antarctica. Yeah. You know, you just All kind right. of like, you carve off a chunk with lasers or whatever you're doing or with pickaxes or modern pickaxes. Yeah. You carve it out. You put a rope around it and you just pull it along with your spaceship and you just drag it across space. And it takes a couple of years. You know, it's taking three years to get there on a spaceship, three years. So it take three years to come back. And then, but the challenge, of course, is it's easy to put it in Earth orbit and you have it in Earth orbit, but then obviously that's not going to do any good. <laughs> you need to bring it to Earth. And that's where I'm talking about, like, how do you make it land safely on Earth, this extremely heavy object? Because the more you can bring, the better for you, because you don't want to just bring like one ton of gold. You want to bring like 100 tons of gold. You know, you want to bring a lot of gold um, or thousands of tons of gold. Um, but of course, then you would it would bring down the entire market because of the supply and demand just goes completely out of whack. Anyway, crazy well, thoughts. I, I think it's, it's very, it's very, no, I, th I don't think it's crazy thoughts. I mean, you, you gave this a lot more thought than I did. And I think it's very, uh, those are some pretty good ideas to, you know, you don't need a big spaceship. You just go there mm -hmm. you invent some thing to cut very large chunks of gold off and, and bring it back. And then you can really uh, get, um, thousands and thousands of, of tons maybe on the planet. I mean, I don't think it's it's much of a problem to just throw it through the, uh, you know, through, through the orbit uh, realm, through, how do you call it? Through the atmosphere. atmosphere. And just hit it in the sea and whatever, you know. I mean, it's gold. We'll find it, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> and no, but what really, what, what is also interesting is that uh, concerning the, the stock to flow ratio is that at this point, uh, you know, this year there will be uh, 3,300 tons uh, of gold being mined. That is more than ever. So if we bring these large chunks of gold from uh, Psyche 16, maybe it's just uh, how it always, always has been. You know, we just keep increasing the amount of gold being mined because there are more people, the economy gets uh, expanded. And mm -hmm. uh, But it's still, uh, m maybe it's also so much that the value of gold will go down. Uh, I don't really know, um, but well, it, uh, it would have to go down at least temporarily. It would have to just because the supply gets you, you inundate the market with supply that it just, you know, yeah, let's say if you not, magically doubled the supply of gold, you know, then it just would have to bring the price down at least temporarily. Yeah, of course. But look at what now we uh, like I just said, we mine uh, 3000 tons uh, per year. And to, this is very, uh, I can send you an article I wrote about this. What's being mined every year doesn't matter for the price of gold. The, the, the mining supply mm -hmm. is not, it doesn't have any impact on the price of gold. What sets the price of gold is supply and demand in above ground stock. So the stock is much more important than the stock to flow ratio or the flow. It's about the stock. So if in one year, for example, uh, mining supply would be increased, that would only uh, matter in the long term. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, and and uh, what you just said is that, you know, if you double the, I don't think we're going to double the amount of gold anytime soon, not even with an asteroid, but suppose there would be a lot more, then you assume that uh, we also can keep up mining what we have right now. And maybe 
I just saw some figures that um, reserves on, on this planet in the ground, uh, these are called in-ground reserves, are kind of depleting, mm. right? So maybe mining really drops and then this new uh, thing comes in from, from the asteroid and the stock to flow ratio would still, yeah, be a little bit constant. We don't really know, but uh, yeah, there were uh, a few assumptions in your uh, analysis. Coming back down to Earth, Jan, let's get down to basics. So somebody has been listening to this podcast and listening to you and they say, okay, I believe there's a Great Depression coming down the pipe and I believe gold and maybe Bitcoin will go up and I want to buy. What advice would you give them? I know that's not financial advice, but I'm just talking about practical advice. Where do they, do they buy an ETF, a gold ETF? Some people say yes, some people say, oh no, 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 you have to have the real thing. It's a big, huge difference between ETF and gold. Um, yeah. Um, and then how do you, if you do want the physical gold, how do you choose a supplier? How do you choose, a, you know, just, is there a website that ranks these suppliers, gives them ratings, feedback? Like eBay, it's easy. You just look at the rating of the seller and you say like, okay, right. lots of people have bought from them. They're reliable. They're good. How do you do that with the gold market? So lots of questions there, but um, give us. Yeah, yeah, well, first of all, you touched on uh, ETFs. I wouldn't buy ETFs there. Uh, because uh, I can also send you uh, a link about this. I wrote an article about the biggest uh, gold ETF called GLD. And if you look at the structure of these things, uh, there are a lot of banks involved. You've got a trustee and a sponsor and a custodian and mm -hmm. lots of counterparties. And what you do with gold is you insure yourself against the financial system, right? So, but if you would uh, buy an ETF, you have like exposure to the price of gold, but you all you still have all the these counterparties in the financial system so mm. it doesn't really insure you of anything and what always happens in financial crisis is that the banks go you have a bank holiday in the weekend suddenly on a saturday they say you know all banks are closed and trading is halted and you can't reach your goal so it's very important if you own gold for the reasons we we talked about crisis uh, preserving your purchasing power having in uh, insurance on your uh, savings is to store it outside of the banking system and keep it in a physical form. Now you can do this uh, by buying coins or small bars and keep it at home. That's obviously uh, very easy if, if you only have you know, some a few thousand dollars to spend. If you have a little bit more, you can think about a vault in your area uh, where you feel uh, safe with, um, but not a safety deposit box at the bank. Did you and, say, sorry, uh, did you say not a safety deposit box? Not. not why not because those are in a bank right so what we saw also the most recent um, examples were for example greece where there was a crisis and also cyprus and it was uh, a couple of years ago they always close the banks when uh, when there's a crisis and they limit the amount of cash you can withdraw but they you can't you also can't access your safety deposit box and there have been even examples of, um, or instances of, uh, that the bank is robbing the safety deposit boxes. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, no, really store it outside of the banking system. This whole banking system is very dangerous now. There are even rules in, in Europe, which are called the bail-in rules, that if a bank goes bust, then you lose your money. Um, in the United States, it's 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 different, but banks are are are, are sensitive uh, entities. Why so why is a vault? Why are you not protected against theft from a vault, a gold vault? 
You mean uh, a vault like my company or another gold broker? Um, I guess I'm not sure. Like you said that if you have it in a bank safety deposit box, there have been cases, and you're right about this, by the way, even in the New York Times have reported about this, that uh, that bank employees themselves have gotten into safety deposit boxes and stolen some of the goods that are in those safety deposit boxes. And yeah. the amount of insurance you get is doesn't make up usually for what you've lost. Um, and so that's true. I'm just saying that where wherever you store physical gold anywhere in any kind of third party custodian, also don't you face some amount of risk that that custodian steals? Yeah, sure. Uh, every every uh, other person you deal with is is a risk, right? And this goes back to uh, let's say when we were hunters gatherers, then you had to trust. Uh, your wife to uh, keep an eye on your kid when you went out hunting. This is the 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 the, the essence of humanity. So uh, yeah, of course there's trust uh, trust issues with 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 uh, also with private uh, gold dealers and brokers. Um, but so how how does how does a consumer somebody who's listening to this how do they make a wise decision? There's no foolproof guaranteed way, because even if you put in a vault that's within a biking distance of your house, that, you know, a bomb could land on it. They could run in there with guns and machine guns and steal the entire money in the vault. Lots of disasters could theoretically happen. Yeah. So yeah. there's no perfect riskless situation. But how can you minimize the risk and pick someplace reputable, safe, that you're not you're going to wake up one morning and the and the gold is suddenly gone? Yeah. So you said a, a couple of important questions about risk and life is full of risk. You always should be aware of radical uncertainty because that's that's life. Um, but the thing is that so you have to do your your homework on a uh, on a gold dealer and a few of them have been existing uh, for years now and their primary purpose is to protect your gold so they wanna do it right they just like with our company you know we have a meeting and we think how can we make sure the gold is as safe as possible what we have done is we have built our own vaults we have two vaults at the moment. So and we source our own gold from a refinery in Switzerland. We cast our own bars. So what comes from Switzerland to Voima in uh, Helsinki are Voima gold bars. Then we test it again, although it's the most trusted uh, refineries in, in, in the world. Then we know for sure it's real gold and you know everything. Then we put it in our own vault. So if you buy gold at us, you, we have minimized the counterparty uh, entities. You, you don't you only have uh, the dealer, which is us and the custodian, which is us with other companies. I'm not saying they're not uh, safe, but you have uh, a gold broker, but they rent uh, another vault company and they source it from, you know, a third refinery. And I think it's you know, it can be safe. But just as an example that we have, uh, we have it all in one and um, but it's really up to the um, to the consumer, yeah, to uh, to pick a few um, yeah well-known brands out there and and do your homework in terms of uh, how do the audit reports uh, look like? Uh, is there insurance from an insurance company also? And just to uh, come back to what we discussed about banks and uh, safety deposit boxes, what for example my company does is we only sell and buy and store gold. That is what we do. Mm -hmm. Banks nowadays 
have no, it's not in their interest to protect your safety deposit boxes, right? Mm. I mean, they have totally different, they, they are yeah. part of a, ver of a global payment system. They are protected by governments. They can be shut down by governments. They, so just to, you know, a safety deposit box cannot be compared to uh, gold dealers, so to say. Right. Um, but how, so, yeah, but yeah, is, uh, is there, is there a, a website that kind of ranks these various gold storing vault storing companies and you know is there a, anyone you recommend no not that i know of actually okay. and i uh, it's a coincidence just, that i got I'm this just, question I'm today i'm just trying to imagine like because if somebody's listening to this and they're like they don't even know where to start like okay they know your company that's one but let's say they're afraid that you know okay it's in helsinki what if russia decides to attack helsinki and rob all the gold <laughs> and yeah. uh you know that sure. i don't you should think I don't, about it Right. And is there a, a risk of that? And what is the if if Russia did go go into Helsinki and steal all the gold, you know, do I get compensated or there's no insurance? I just lost it. You know, probably my guess is that's just gone. Uh, well, first of all, in, in defense of my uh, company, we, we, we thought about this and uh, Finland is uh, a member of the NATO. And uh, actually, the, we have now one vault in Helsinki, and Finland is one of the safest places in the world, just like Switzerland. And um, the second vault we bought is an old ammunition, um, let's say, cave in the bedrock in the north of uh, Finland. It's called Lapland, and it's next to a NATO army base. And there are like 50 hornets there, uh, choppers, and 10,000 soldiers. So um i'm not so worried about uh russia coming in there would be uh for you know i mean uh, not to downplay my own company but it's not like we store uh the amount of gold that is in the fort knox right right so uh i don't think that's a risk um what were the other questions you were asking oh you were asking about a website to compare uh gold dealers right that doesn't exist i was actually i got the same question today on uh, twitter and i maybe will write an article about it you know, to um, compare some pricings because you always have the uh, uh, the fee you have to pay to the uh, gold dealer, you know, the commission. Uh, you have the storage fee, you have uh, safety uh, differences. So maybe I'm going to write an, uh, an article on like the 10, 10 uh, most well-known uh, gold dealers uh, in the world for people uh, to make it easier for people. I will definitely love to see it and, and put a link to that. I, all these things you've been mentioning, I'm going to put links in the show notes just so people can find a little bit more about you and about some of the things that we've we've talked about. I really appreciate all your insight. Um, any other uh, advice that you would give to people um, before we wrap this up? Um, no, not really. Uh, you know, in short, uh, I started to research gold because I was... Uh, I saw a lot of risk in the financial system and uh, gold is uh, like an insurance on your savings. And that's what I tell people, uh, make sure you own a little bit of gold. You know, don't put all your money in gold. Make sure you own a little bit of gold, 20%, I don't know, it's up to you. Uh, and make sure you are uh, insured against uh, financial turmoil. Right, and I think that's especially relevant for this coming decade where we're really you know, got a lot of challenges that we're about to face. And the COVID seems to have kicked us off <laughs> as yeah, on the wrong yeah, foot. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. really going to Maybe be... it's, it's uh, interesting to share. I just uh, 
came up in my mind. Uh, it's an article I'm going to write uh, probably next week. Uh, it's about, I've got some evidence that the Europeans have been preparing for a gold standard since the at least 1990s. And um, uh, so I will reveal some evidence of it uh, next week, but I've also written an article, a previous article, which is already online, which I can, uh, we can put underneath uh, this uh, video. And that is that European central banks have been repatriating their gold from London and the US. But there are also European central banks that we know of, Germany, Sweden, uh, then, uh, France, that have been upgrading their gold reserves to current wholesale market standards. Mm -hmm. So that means they want to be ready for when the gold is necessary. They want to have, have it liquid. If you have old bars from, say, the 1940s or 50s, these were not so pure as, as they are now. So you can't quickly sell them or do anything with them because they have to be refined. So it's very remarkable that Germany, Sweden, and France, and I think the Netherlands as well, maybe also other central banks, have upgraded all their gold reserves to current market uh, standards. And also they have been communicating very differently. Um, on the, the, I kid you not, on the website of the Dutch central bank, it says um, gold will always retain its value. And uh, if there is a financial shock, uh, or the economy collapses, it can be used to build up a new system. Mm. That's quite remarkable, right? The German yeah. Central Bank, the German Central Bank says gold is the bedrock of stability for the international monetary system. They have been communicating quite differently in the past few, few years about gold. And with some other evidence I'm going to reveal, um, I really think that they are slowly moving. I'm not saying they are um, have, have thought out how the gold standard would look like, but they are really preparing for when it's going to happen, that they are prepared, right? Because maybe in 1971, when Nixon uh, broke the gold window, they already started thinking in Europe, okay, we have this completely paper system now, but that will end one day. Right. And uh, and uh, so I think they, they are prepared for uh, for the next system. Yeah, and I do think the dollar's days, the U.S. dollar's dominance days are numbered. It's I can't imagine it going for another 50 years, and they may barely last 10 more years. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I read a few books about it. It's actually quite difficult to uh, to get off the dollar standard, um, but um, what most definitely will happen is that the dollar will also be devalued by a lot. So. Uh, and how that then will play out in terms of, you know, uh, if it still will be used for um, international commerce, because a lot of things are being paid in dollars, for example. We don't know. There is a lot of uncertainty, but uh, yeah, it will it, it will certainly uh, face a setback. Uh, last last three questions. Number one, uh, do you think, and they're, 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 they're quick, um, do you think that Bitcoin would become a reserve currency in the same way that gold is a reserve in many banks? in the world no okay. no all right no, i don't think so okay and then number two is what do people for the storage fees do you think uh is it about one percent of your value let's say i buy a thousand dollars of gold uh what would i be expect to pay for an annual like upkeep of the vault is it one percent of it of the value it, 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 
Yeah, it's uh, our company is one uh, percent. Um, that's a little bit more than a, a few others because we have our own vaults. Um, uh, it's usually in between a half percent and one percent. Got it. So okay. and and some yeah some companies have uh, some advantages and uh, or some disadvantages. We have our own vault, so at this point uh, we're a bit more expensive in terms of uh, storage fees. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe if we uh, grow a lot, we'll go down. That I okay. don't know actually, but um, yeah, it's it's usually in between half half a percent and one percent. Last question: How do they find out more about you and your company? Oh, you can go to Voima uh, Gold and look on the Insights tab, and you can read their uh, my latest articles, or go to Twitter, uh, Jan Nieuwenhuis, or at uh, Jan Gold underscore. Wonderful. Jan, it's been a big pleasure. Thank you so much for your insight your, and everything. So I wish you the best and uh, keep in touch. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.